0: slowly through 1st and 2nd Thessalonians for a while, um, and I know we've taken some breaks and done some other things, but as I was looking this week and finishing up um, the last few verses there in 2nd Thessalonians, I really felt uh, impressed to try to tie it all together. Um it's no small task. Um, if you haven't read through First and Second Thessalonians yet, um, you'll have the opportunity to hear that today. <laughs> so if nothing else, you'll know that you've read through at least those two books of the Bible. Um, but I would encourage you to go back and read through these on your own. And if, I won't have an opportunity, obviously, to expound on everything the way we did the first time through. But all those messages are available. They're on Sermon Audio. They're put together in a series. And so... If you have questions you um, can start with those. So I want to go uh, all the way back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and Lord willing we'll make a few comments going along and the idea is that we'll read the word, we'll give the sense and make it plain. Um, so you may not learn anything new this morning and if you already knew this that's okay. Part of my job is to remind you call it back to your attention, that it would be fresh. i also be praying that this uh, internet would work, because um, the boys are supposed to be home watching it. <laughs> it's blinking at me a little bit. So, 1 Thessalonians, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, under the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God, the Father, and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Church that called out assembly, called out of the world. What are you called out into? You're called out into God into Jesus. He is the living and ruling reigning head of this church and of every other church. Um, and we can't forget that. We are in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. That should govern everything that we do. Everything that we say. Every way that we try to worship Him. It should be in accordance to His word and His teaching. Not supplementing our own mind for His. But Lord giving us the request that we could conform ourselves to His image and to His Word. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are looking for grace or favor, are you looking for peace from anything other than those sources, God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, you're looking in the wrong place. You won't find it. Favor and peace, real, only comes from God. He's the source. As you're praying for yourself and as you're praying for your brothers and sisters, we need to be praying that the Lord will bless us with grace, which is unmerited favor. That's not because you deserve it. If that was the standard, we wouldn't get it. Unmerited favor that we get it anyway. Because he's good, because his mercies are new every morning. So we're praying that the source of our source of grace and the source of peace, real peace, which is God our Father and the Lord, Jesus Christ. And again, Lord means master. means you're a servant. He's the boss. We're not. Our Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all. So Paul and those that are with him are thanking God for these saints there at Thessalonica. Remember, he's only able to be there about three weeks before he was run out of town by the unbelieving Jews. But he's thankful for them, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing. As they're praying, they're remembering something about them. Your work of faith. Their faith was in work. Their faith was in action. It was visible. Right? Their work of faith. Labor of love. That implies that there's some toil involved with loving one another. It doesn't just come naturally or easily. But there is effort goes into laboring in love. Work of faith. Labor of love. And patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's that talking about? Patience of hope. That's patiently waiting for the Lord to come back. That's the hope, the assurance that he is coming, that if you are living your life and the assurance that he's coming back, that'll be reflected. As opposed to living life where, well, maybe he'll come, but I don't know, I'll just do what I want. Right? So work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, doing all those things in God's sight, not just in man's eyes. Right? Scribes and Pharisees did a lot of things to be seen of men. But when we serve God, serve from the heart, doesn't matter if anyone else sees it now here's the kicker they will but they're not the audience you're trying to please or impress you're doing all things to stand and fall before your father in his sight so he's thanking for them thanking god for those things in them knowing brethren beloved your election of god right he's able to understand and see that this group of people how they have changed their life they were serving idols right? idols of gentiles you know greek mythology you know Roman mythology, all that, they were serving that and thought it was real. And the Lord did a work and brought the truth to them and now they've changed from that and they're not longer serving those dead idols, they're serving the living and true God. And their life is reflecting their faith and their love and their patient waiting for Christ. And so he's able to know by the change in their life, their election of God. He can see that God chose these people. He's done something in them that man by itself can't do. For our gospel came not not only unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. The impact within their lives. There was power. It was shown. It was manifest. There was a change in their life. If you go to someone who is not a born-again child of God, all the word can come to them is in word only. And they can't hear it. But when you have someone whose heart the Lord has opened, when they hear that truth, there's a power that comes to it. And it's evident in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. That assurance, that confidence that what these things are saying are true. As we, as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Part of this is saying look at the example. The example of the lives that we lived while we were there. Alright, and that's that's something we need to always be discerning. When we're hearing somebody teach something about God, look at their life to see if they're living out what they teach. Right? If they're not matching out and serving God you know, honorably and justly and doing the things that they say that you ought to be doing, well, there's a problem there. Right? But he's Paul is saying, we had a good example. You know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us, and more importantly, of the Lord. You can be followers of those men if they're following the Lord. Followers of us and of the Lord having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. There was problems, there was troubles, there was strife from the very beginning of this church there in that town because they were preaching preaching the gospel, preaching the truth, and yet they still received it with joy of the Holy Ghost because they had found something more precious than all the trials and struggles and hardship that are going to come with it. Right, That precious pearl, the man who cast everything else aside, sold all they had, and went after just that one precious thing. That's the gospel. So they received it with joy of the Holy Ghost. All right? So that you became examples to all those, in samples, to all those that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Their faithfulness to the word in spite of adversity was an encouragement... To all those around them, not only in Macedonia—that's the region of Greece that they were in—also in Achaia. That was a long way away. We're talking several hundred miles away when the distances were farther back then. Right? It's easy to travel now, and things seem real close. But then, it was a lot harder to travel. So you're talking several hundred miles away to a different region, and yet your faithfulness to serve God, to love one another, and patiently wait for His His, ch- his child, His Son, Jesus Christ, to come back is an encouragement to those. Hundreds of miles around. That's a big impact, right? They're an example, in samples, the word. It means to, a pattern or, or a fit or mold. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Caia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad. So there is an outward going, right? It wasn't an inward focus. And sometimes we get kind of bound up in these walls. We come in here and we're gonna worship God, and it's just us, right? right? Pray that Lord, the word have free course and be glorified, and be delivered from unreasonable and and wicked men, for not all men have the faith, right? That's the outward expansion of the word. That should be, as us as disciples and followers of Christ, that the word should go forth from this place. Yes, you come in, you be encouraged, you be fed, and then it goes forth. Not just me. It's not just my responsibility. It is, Now I'm charged to do the work of an evangelist, as a pastor and teacher, but the word should go forth from all of us. That our lives would be an example. Not just our words. But our lives, our walk, our work of faith, our labor of love, not only love each other, but also love all men, and to patiently wait for Christ. Your, your faith to God would to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. So he's like, I don't have to go around and say, hey, have y'all heard about that church? Like, you know, we already know about them, right? Their, their, their reputation has preceded them. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, that it says, that we went unto you and we had a very profitable time. It wasn't labor spent in vain. The fruits that you're bearing are showing that the labor that he spent as, a, as an evangelist and as a teacher there, they're already bearing fruit. And so it's confirming that he had good time and good profit there. The Lord was blessing it. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivered us From the wrath to come, we talked Wednesday night about uh, what Jesus secured on the cross. He secured your redemption. He redeemed you by His blood. He hath delivered you from the wrath to come. That's not a a hope one day that He'll deliver you, or if you do something right that you know His work plus yours will equal deliverance. It's no, He hath delivered you. Every single one of all those that He elected and chose, they are delivered. There's nothing that you can do to undo that. His work is sufficient. Chapter 2, For yourselves, brethren, know our entrance unto you that it was not in vain. So again, he's reminding them, look at the pattern that we gave you. Look at our lives. Look at what we taught, how we came. It wasn't a vain teaching, right? You can see the fruit that was born from it, and everyone's heard about it. Even after that, we had suffered before and were shamefully entreated, as you know, at Philippi. Remember at Philippi, cast out the demon that was in the woman, the fortune teller, and the guys who owned her were really upset because they lost their pocketbook. They said, well, we can't use her as a fortune teller anymore. We're going to drag Paul and I think it was Silas to the, to the town square. We're going to strip him naked. We're going to have the magistrates do it. And they're going to beat him and then throw him in jail. And that's when there was an earthquake and the, uh, the, bound, the shackles and bonds were released. And uh, the, the jailer... He hears everything, and he sees the doors open. He's afraid they're fled, and he draws his short sword. He's going to kill himself, right? That's probably the death penalty for letting your prisoners go. And they say, "No, we're still here." And he comes in trembling, brother. And what must I do to be saved? And they teach the gospel to him that night, right in boldness. They've just been beaten for it. Here we're going to do it again. And you know that guy and his whole family heard and rejoiced and believed, and they were baptized that night. Right? They went home, washed their stripes. Right? That was. He said, "Well, how were we treated at Philippi? Not very well, right?" But the Lord still blessed it. And they came to the next town. Uh, you know, there's a couple in between. But they got down to the Thessalonica even after that treatment. And they came and they boldly taught. We were bold in our gospel to speak unto you the gospel with much contention. Why do we need prayers for deliverance from unreasonable wicked men? not all men have faith?
1: Because if you're doing what God
0: said, there's going to be trouble. That's okay. Don't be discouraged by that. For our exhortation was not of deceit or uncleanness nor in God. So he's saying everything that they were doing, there wasn't an ulterior motive. We're not coming among you to try and get your stuff, to try and make ourselves popular, to do any other things that a carnal man would. But rather, it was a pureness. But as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, he said, you know, God gave Paul the gospel. He gave it specifically for the Gentiles. He gave him revelations about how that all tied together in the Old Testament that had been hidden before the mysteries were revealed. As he'd been allowed to understand it and give it to him, he was declaring that. Not more, not with these different ulterior motives. Even so we speak. As we are allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God which trieth our hearts. Their message was not trying to start a movement, not to persuade minds, not to have everybody like them and follow them. The response, that's entirely up to God. The faithfulness to the word, that's what they're charged with, and they're standing and rising before God. So if I'm preaching the word and every single one of y'all hate me for it, it doesn't matter. I'm still supposed to preach the word. It's not to please men, but to please God, which trieth our hearts. He's the one who's going to test our hearts. He's the one who knows whether we're faithfully serving him. For neither at any time, so again, he's talking about how he was when he was among them, neither at any time used we flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. All right, You want an example of that today? The guy who goes around setting up a tent in a different town and he performs magic miracles, and, and for that miracle, you better give me $1,000 or something. That's my standard fee, right? What's he doing? He's taking the name of Christ and he's being a schmarmy little fellow to fleece the flock and make you think that he's done something, right? That's not the pattern that God gave to the apostles, right? For their ability to heal people, it was freely have you been given, freely shall you give, right? Not go and here's the price. But that's what carnal man does. They see it as an opportunity. And so he's saying, we weren't doing that. We weren't there to flatter you with buttery up. We didn't have that smooth, smooth silk tongue of a car salesman, nor a cloak of covetousness. We weren't hiding the fact that we wanted your stuff. Um, God is witness. He said, God standing before you. He's the one I've got to rise and fall. On. He can testify of our motives. Nor of men sought we glory. Neither of you, nor yet of others. We weren't coming in to say, yeah, we're, we're something. Trying to build ourselves up. But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherishes her children. As a nurse cherisheth her children, one who's caring for children, they're kind and gentle. We were gentle among you. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you, not only the gospel only. That's one thing they were imparting. I want the gospel only. It says, but we loved you so much, we were willing to give our own souls, our own life, that you were that dear unto us. And that's what that, that word soul there, that doesn't mean our immortal soul. That means willing to give up my own life, Breath, that which allows us to move around. He said, "I'm willing to lay that down if it's you know for your need. Right? You were dear unto us. That's some dear love, right? That's the pattern that Jesus gave us. You know, for we to love each other as He loves us. Well, it was a self-sacrificial love. And greater man hath no you know, there's no greater love than for a man to lay down his life for his friends. Right? So that's what He's talking about—the willingness to do that. For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail." for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. So he's there working in the daytime. I don't know if he's making tents here. He did that in other cities. But he's working to support himself because he is not going into this city as an evangelist to take money of them. He had the right to do that. We'll talk about that later in uh, the second Thessalonians later. But he set an example of I'm here to work, and so you don't have to pay me a thing. I'm going to freely teach as I come unto you. Right Because we would not be chargeable unto any of you. We wouldn't want, we didn't want to be an expense unto you. We preached unto you the gospel of God, and he did that so there would be no scintilla, no little bit, no evidence that anyone could say, "Well, he just wants your stuff." Because the rebuttal for that is really? then why didn't he take any of our stuff? Right? It's hard to question motives when you don't give any, any evidence or any slightest bit of give on it. Does that make sense? Ye are witnesses, say you you saw how we were, and God, God also is witnesses, how holy, holily, lived a holy, and justly, and unblameably, we behaved ourselves among you, that believe. As ye know, how we exhorted, and comforted, and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children. What's he comforting, and charging, and exhorting them? That ye would walk worthy of God. That's the charge that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto His kingdom and glory. So he was living a good example, and he was charging them, follow his example and live a holy life, worthy of God. Right? That's what he's called us to. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men. It's not just saying these guys came to town, they've got some smart you know, psychology or philosophies or whatever. You know, it's their, their idea. But rather, what it is in truth, the Word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Recognizing that the Word of God is the Word of God. The only reason you're able to believe that is because the Lord lets you believe that. He gives you the faith to discern it. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus, for ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have the Jews. He says, like, okay, you followed you know in time that they had heard and believed first and what happened then they were persecuted back in Judea in Jerusalem, right? some of the leaders, the apostles were taken and killed and they were persecuted and they dispersed out. He says, well, you're following the same pattern. Here you're believing and what's happening. You're experiencing the same kind of persecution, even as they have of the Jews. What the Jews do? they, they killed the Lord. they both killed the Lord and their own prophets. And have persecuted us, and they please not God, and are contrary to all men. So it doesn't matter whether they were Jew or Gentile. If they were unbelieving and they're wicked, they hated what God sent. So it's following here too that they hate you as well. And what do they do? They forbid us uh, to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, to fill up their sin always, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. Alright? Remember that we were delivered from the wrath? The wrath has come upon them, the wicked, the unelect, all those that hate God. The wrath has come upon them to the uttermost, and it's going to be fulfilled on that final day. All right? But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face again with great desire. Remember, he was running out of town. He went down to Berea, and the same Jews from Thessalonica came down there and ran him out of town again. He had to get on a ship and go down, way down to the the southern portion of Greece down to Athens, and he was there for uh, a while, and then he uh, would leave there and go on over to Corinth. He desired to go back, but uh, he wasn't able to. Wherefore, uh, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. There were things that stopped his desires from being able to go there. For what is our hope, and our joy, and our crown of rejoicing? Not even ye in the presence of our Lord Christ Jesus at our coming. You know, as any uh, pastor or evangelist could tell you, if they're preaching and teaching the gospel and you're seeing the Lord's people see it, understand it, respond to it, that's exciting. The best thing that they have is that on that last day, you'll see those people that you've taught standing there you know, among the sheep. You didn't have anything to do with making them sheep, but you had the privilege of telling them the great news of what Christ has done for them and letting them dwell in that, 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 that knowledge. And then to see them there on that last day, that is is his crown, that's his joy, that's his rejoicing. He doesn't get to claim credit for it, but it's a pinnacle of of happiness and joy. All right, For ye are our glory and our joy. Wherefore, because of that, when we can no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone. So he's there at Athens for a time. He sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, back up to check on him. Our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. And you had not been there very long, right? And so he wants to have someone go to make sure they're still centered, make sure they're still focused on the right things, they're not being distracted, and to comfort you to make sure that you're focusing on the right things, that you can be of good comfort despite the adversity. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, because that's their carnal temptation, right? Well, we're doing this thing, we've stopped serving idols, and life's gotten a lot harder, Right, that was kind of the uh, in the Old Testament, the Israelites. There was a time when uh, they were told to put away all these idols, and and they did. And then things got worse. And like, well, things have just gotten worse since we switched offering sacrifices to you know the goddess of heaven, the the stars, and the sun, and the moon. Well, we ought to do that again, right? No, that's your long con- wrong connection, right? Just because things are harder doesn't mean that you're not doing the right thing, all right? So he didn't want any man to be. Uh, moved away from serving God and following the faith by the afflictions, it says, "For ye know yourselves were appointed thereunto." Ooh, what's that mean? It means we're appointed under the afflictions. That any who will live godly will suffer persecution. He says, "I told you that when we were there, you know that." So don't be discouraged now that it's happening. Right? For verily, when we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. Even as it came to pass. As you know, he's like, it sounds like he was actively teaching on it as they're coming to haul him <laughs> and cause trouble, right? That there was, as he's going to be run out of town. Even as it came to pass and you know. So for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, uh, I sent to know your faith. So he's worried that they may have you know, stopped, that the persecutions would have got to him. So I sent to know your faith, let your faith, lest by some means the tempter having tempted you or our, and our labor be in vain. So we don't want to stop down that road. We don't want to walk away. We want to continue on. And we want to encourage those who are around us to continue on, to lift up those who are weak and, and discouraged, that we'll keep on walking towards Christ together. But now when Timothy came from you to us, or Timothy's already been there, and now he's come back and he's going to give his report, and brought unto us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always. All right? So despite the hardship, they're still in the faith, They're still in love. That was the things that he remembered when he was there, their work of faith and their labor of love. And that, you've got good remembrance of us always, because it's tempting, I'm sure, in our carnal self, that, well, this guy came into town, we listened to what he said about this man Jesus, and now we're believing it, we're following it. Things have gotten really bad. We could really be irritated at that guy. Now, that's your carnal reaction. He says, but you have good remembrance of us, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you, in all our affliction and distress by your faith. So, Paul's still going through affliction and distress. He said, y'all are going to go through it. He's going through it, but you know what? The steadfastness of his brothers and sisters is an encouragement in his. Right? So we can be mutually encouraging to each other as we're standing fast and continuing doing what's right, even when things are hard. For now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before God, day and night, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Right? There's always room to grow, and Paul desired to be able to get back there to see them and to teach them more, that we could grow more in grace and knowledge. And so that's what he's praying. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you to make our way straight, and the Lord make you to... Increase and abound in love one towards another. That increases. I don't think it's referring to the population of that church. I think there's two modifiers to love: increase and abound. You know, love more and a more. Right? That is so important. Make you to increase and abound in love one towards another and toward all men. So inside your local church and beyond. You love even your enemies, even the unbelievers but also the brothers and sisters that are outside of your local church, right? Increase and abound. So just have this overflowing well of love one towards another and toward all men, even as we towards you. To the end, what's the end goal at the end of our life or when Christ comes back, that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all saints. And I'm going to just briefly do an aside by go to Jude, the last couple verses. He ends it with a prayer. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, God's doing the keeping you from falling, and present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. It's verses 24 and 25 of Jude. He will establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God at the coming of Jesus Christ our Lord with all his saints alright chapter 4 goes on furthermore then we beseech you brethren and exhort you so I'm begging and I'm encouraging you calling you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God so you would abound more and more so go look at that example that we lived and then go do it all Right. there's head knowledge then there's application. Wisdom is knowing how to apply that knowledge into your situation. You can have all the knowledge of the word, but if it just stays up here and you don't actually apply it, then I don't think wisdom is being manifested. So he's saying, I gave you some examples. I gave you the application of what it looked like in all those different circumstances when I was before you. Go do. Go apply. As you've seen how to walk, go do it. And to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. All right? A lot of folks get really strung up with, What is the will of God for my life? And they expect that the Lord is going to give them a curated, narrowly tailored, Well, it's going to be to you to get this job, and you to marry this person, and you live in this house, or whatever. What is the will of God? All the way down to the minutia. Scripture doesn't tell you. But it does tell you this is the will of God, your sanctification. And what does that mean? That means being holy. Now, will you ever be sinless here in this life? No. So you cannot achieve perfect sinlessness here because you will always have your carnal nature. Okay? However, the process of us growing up and maturing as followers of God, as his disciples, and as his children, is that our lives should have more and more holiness within it. And the things that are impure and gross and vile and abhorrent to our Father, we should be constantly on our guard and looking for and laying them down. Okay? Will that be a steady progression? Probably not. But what is the will of God in your life? Your sanctification. That as He is holy, He's called us to be holy. If you're not worried about making your life live in a way that reflects His holiness, there's a problem. Okay, This is the will of God, even your sanctification. What does He start with there in explaining that? That you should abstain from fornication. There is nothing holy about fornication. Fornication is a broad term that includes all manner of sexual sin. It is a defiling of your own body, which is the temple of Christ, the temple of the Holy Ghost. There's nothing about that that is holy. So lay that down first, that you abstain from all fornication. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel. What's your vessel? That's your body. Know how to possess your vessel in sanctification and honor, in holiness and honor, that which is good and right. Not in the lust of concupiscence. Those are some big words. It means not with a passionate lusting for those things that you don't, shouldn't need, shouldn't want, wrongful things. Even as the Gentiles, which know not God, there's a difference between you. You've been called out of the world. You can't lust after the same things with how they abuse their bodies, and still be being sanctified. Right? You can't have it both ways. They don't know God. That's why they do that. If you've been called to Him, and you do know Him, you can't, can't pursue it the same way. You can't. You can try. The Lord's going to chasten you because He loves you and get your attention and draw you back to Him. But that is not the standard. It's not, well, the Lord's done all the work so I can just live it any old way. No, that's not the attitude of a child of God. That's the attitude of somebody says, well, that sounds pretty good, but it doesn't have anything to do with their heart. All right? So leaving aside fornication, leaving aside the lust of concupiscence, that coveting, that's what concupiscence means, coveting. Coveting whatever it is, whatever it is you covet. Covet means to desire and have a passion for something, whether it's well, whatever form of stuff it is or somebody or something that you don't, you're not entitled to. No one, God never sent you anybody else's spouse or anything like that. Coveting things or experiences or whatever it is, we're not to have. That's not to be our passion. That's all things of this world. Lay those down. That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. Right? There is no excuse for you to lie to get something from your brother. And you can take that all the way down to your taxes. Well, if I just fudge it this way, and Uncle Sam will never know, and this is a colorable argument. No, we need to be honest in all things. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such. So if we defraud one of our brothers, in particular within the church, the Lord knows. And we also have been forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. So someone who hears these words and despises it, well, I don't have to live like that, right? You're not despising me as the teacher. you not despising uh, anybody who tells you or gently rebukes you. You're despising God himself because this is his standard. He hath not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. He that despiseth despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, so again, this whole thing is how do you live? right? How do you apply it? How do you do it now? But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. What is one of the main evidences that you can rest assured in that you're a child of God? Is if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because how can you love God who you haven't seen if you don't love your brothers and sisters who you have seen? Right? If you love him that begot you, you're also going to love him that was begotten of him. Right? Born, right? That is one of the main evidences that you can just rest assured in my love for my brothers and sisters is an assurance that I am a born-again child of God, that he loves me, because you wouldn't have that unless he gave it to you. Okay? So he says, you know, God taught you that. You yourselves are taught of God to love one another. And indeed you do it. So he said, You are doing it towards all our brethren, which are in Macedonia, that's your whole region. But. So even though you're doing it, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more, right? There's not this point where we can say, okay, I've got it, right? Regardless of what it is, whether it's our knowledge about Christ and the Word, whether it's our love, whether it's our faith, there's always room to progress here, right? To get better, to know more, okay? And verse 11, that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands, as we have commanded you, that ye may walk honestly towards them that are without, and that you may have lack of nothing. What's this talking about? This is talking about diligently going about the things that you have to do in this world. That you're not a, a busybody going about being in everybody else's business. You're worried about the business the Lord gave you to do, to have the things that you need, so that you can that you're not defrauding anybody, you're not putting yourself in a position of taking things um, that are not yours, but that we live honestly. This is talking about our work ethic and diligent labors in our lives. Right? We study to be quiet. It means you know, putting into practice that I'm going to focus on what the Lord's given me and I'm going to take care of it and do our own business and work with our own hands as we command you, that you may walk honestly to them that are without. Who's the without? Anybody outside the church. That our walk within should be honest and without should be honest. They should see that we're consistently living, right? And that you may have lack of nothing. Well, what, how, is, how is the vast majority of your needs going to be failed, met? Because the Lord has given you this diligence to go meet it, right? The Lord can always provide with a miraculous intervention, completely capable. But you cannot live your life expecting that your daily meet, needs are going to be miraculously met, Every day that's not the pattern. He's given us strength in our bodies and soundness in our mind to go use what he's given us, the gifts and talents and go provide for our needs and provide for those needs of our family and we need to be diligent about it okay verse 13 says, "I would not have you to be ignorant brethren concerning them which are asleep so there are some that have already passed away that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope there should be a difference." And how we talk about death and those that have gone on than those who don't believe. There should be a difference. Because those who don't believe in Christ, regardless of what they believe, they don't have any real hope. But we have a real hope. And that's not just a wish. That's a strong assurance. It's something different that we can expect that, that they can't. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that's, that's foundational. If you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again, you don't believe in Jesus. You're not a Christian. You can't have being a follower of Christ if you don't believe that he died and rose again. If he's still dead in the grave to you, there's no point to any of this. All right? He died and rose again. Foundational. Even so, them which sleep in Christ will God bring with him. That's referring to their bodies. He told the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's where your soul is when you're dead. You're with Christ. But your body goes to the ground. And that's where it will remain until there's the final great resurrection where your soul and body are reunited and you've got a perfect body given to you. All right? Those of those that sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of Christ shall not prevent, and that prevent means proceed or go before, we will not prevent them that are asleep. And then you get this picture of Christ's coming. Listen to this. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I have to whisper that in my shout, right? A shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Massive trumpet and the shout of the archangel. And the dead in Christ shall rise First, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord that's what we have to look forward to that's the hope of bodily resurrection to be with our Lord For we're dead we'll be with him immediately with our soul but one night he's coming back and we'll be with him soul and body and if you're still alive at that time you're going to see an amazing sight as these graves burst forth Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort. We can be going through persecution. We can be being stoned as they did back then. And we could be being shot. Because we're standing fast for the word. And we still don't have to sorrow like others do. This truth stands fast. This is the rock that he builds his church on. The rock is that Jesus is the Christ. Right? And you know, Peter... Sometimes they get that a little confused. What's the rock? The rock is that what Peter just said, that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior. That Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, and he died, and he lives. Amen. Yeah! And that's when we serve, and he's coming back, and he is going to bring all of his to him. Chapter 5 says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. So that's the next question. You start talking about that, and then the question is, well, when? <laughs> right? When? Well, short answer is, you don't know. So quit trying to figure it out. Yeah. Tabloid says it's going to be this date. I can almost guarantee you it's not going to be that date. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For ye yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. It's not going to be broadcast. It's going to be not going to be known. It comes as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. In another book, it talks about. It's like when Noah was building the ark. Like no one knew when it was going to start raining. You know, they were. Giving each other, you know, giving out, having weddings or having babies or doing all the things they normally do, and then the rain started. Right? No one had predicted it. No one knew it was coming, and it just came. The same way you can't predict when a woman's going to go into labor. It just comes upon them. Right? There's no advance notice. And they shall not escape. There's no way out. Right? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. What you just said—you said it was coming as a thief. We won't know. Correct. You won't know. But how you live is you should be alert and sober and ready at any time, right? So if you knew someone was going to break into your house tonight, what would you do? You'd be sitting up, right? You'd be ready. Well, that's the idea. That if you don't know when it's coming, well, you'd be ready all the time because you're children of the light. We have light in our life. We talked about that last week. We're children of light. We should walk as children of light, which is holily in anticipation of him coming like it's real not like it's just kind of, oh, well, that'd be nice, you know. Not that, you know, that old country song, you know, everybody wants to go to heaven, but not everybody wants to go now, right? That's a sorry song. That's it. They like the idea of heaven as for later, after I enjoy all the good of this time, right? That's, that's Moses enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season. The Lord calls me to heaven now. I'm infinitely better off. He calls you to heaven. You're infinitely better off. If he comes back now and wipes out this whole thing, and you never, you know, grow up fully or go to college or have the wife and kids, all the things that you've kind of got these check boxes. If you don't do all those things, because Christ came back, you're infinitely better off. Okay, so we are children of light, children of the day, not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do. Right? Y'all ever just check out of your walk with God? You just get wrapped up in the things of this world and following on. that's, That's you going back to sleep. Wake up. The time's at hand. It's nearer now than when you first believed. They that sleep, sleep in the night. They that are drunken, are drunken in the night, right? All those things that the children of darkness do, they do it in the nighttime. But let us who are of the day be sober, alert, stone cold sober, right? Alert, putting on. Got two different pieces of armor here that it describes for us. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Right? We need to guard both our hearts and our minds. Right? That's the purpose of the breastplate, right? You're wearing your, your metal breastplate, you're out there fighting over the night and you get sore chap you know, poking at your chest. Right? A lot of force, right? Well, what do you hope holds? That <laughs> your breastplate holds up, right? And it protects your vital organs. Right? Guards your heart. What's your helmet guard for? Your head, your mind, right? Well, during your life, you are going to have discouragements, you are going to have frustrations, you are going to have a lot of things that are tempted to drag your heart down. The thing that bolsters and protects your heart is faith and love. Dwelling on faith and love. The faith, the truth of what Christ has done, your ability to believe that it's real... And your love. Love for the Father, love for the Son, love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how you guard your heart. Strapping that on every day and living that out. Same thing with your head. Your head will mess with you, right? Regardless of what's going on, the hope of salvation, the assurance that what Christ has done is accomplished, right? Regardless of all the worries and all the cares and all those other things that you can beat yourself up over. I didn't do enough, or I did, you know, whatever. Going back to keeping it in perspective, I have salvation secured for me by the Son of God. And there's no one who can stop his hand or say, What are you doing? or No, you can't do that. It's secure. It's a check, it's a boundary for us of where we can get completely out of whack within our lives and in our hearts and our minds if we go back and focus on those things that Jesus' work accomplished what he set out to do. That's the hope of salvation, right? Not only that, that includes the inheritance that he's prepared for us to be with him, but he's coming back. We just talked about that. And he's coming back, and we're going to be with him forever. Let that be these strong boundaries within our life so we don't go off into the ditches of this world. Guard your heart, guard your mind, with faith and love and the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, right? He's delivered us from wrath. The wicked, he has appointed them to wrath and they will get the full measure of it. But he has not appointed you to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Take that to heart. Rejoice in that. This day is really getting me down. Whatever it is, think on that. The Lord has not appointed you to wrath but to salvation. By our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we shall live together with him. So whether you're still alive when he comes back or whether you're already dead, we're all going to bodily live with our Savior. That's what you've been appointed to. Wherefore, comfort yourselves. Comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. He said you're already doing that. You're you're already comforting yourselves with these words. You're already building each other up. What does that imply? That That implies there are times when you're going to be low and you need to be built back up. All right? Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you also do. And we beseech you, brethren, we beg you to know them which labor among you. This is talking about your teachers, your pastors. And are over them in the Lord, that that labor among you and are over you in the Lord. With that role of oversight, that's what the pastor is. He's supposed to oversee, set the example by his words, to teach, and to point out the dangers as they come. And admonish you, that's to gently rebuke. And to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Not because they're so great because the work they've been called to is so great. And be at peace among yourselves. You want to encourage your pastor? Be at peace among yourselves. Right? Now, we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. Warn them that are unruly. That means insubordinate. Give them a warning. Comfort the feeble-minded. The feeble-minded is one who is little-spirited or faint-hearted. Support the weak. The weak are those who are, who are sick, again, or feeble. Be patient, long-suffering, towards all men see that none render evil for evil unto any man but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men why are those verses right after each other because there's times when you're going to want to render evil back to someone who's unruly there's going to be times when you're going to want to render evil back to someone who's feeble minded well well, if you just stop being weak spirited and do the things you're supposed to support the weak well we could call them right here's the idea those verses are linked. Our carnal nature is want, wants us to be impatient, frustrated, snappy, think we're better than our brothers and sisters when they're struggling with these different things, whether they're unruly or they're feeble, feeble-minded. But what we're called to do is love them and be patient and long-spirited, but rather follow that which is good. So even if someone is pushing your buttons, you know, we've got this whole idea of triggers, You should modify your behavior so you don't trigger my bad behavior. Y'all, that's not our standard. Regardless of who does what around you, you're to continue to do good. Not returning evil for evil, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Why? So you can look great? No, because your God is holy. And that's what he's called us to. He is good and merciful to both the just and the unjust. You want an example for that? Look at the sun. Right? He could do it so that it only shines its rays on the houses and the crops and the people that he really likes, that he loves. He could do that, but he doesn't. He's merciful to all with that. Same thing with the rain. That's the pattern that we're given to. Verse 16, rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Second thing, will of God... Sanctification, that you be holy. What else? In everything giving thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. If we're giving thanks in everything, are we going to be complaining about everything? We're not. Right? Do you know what complaining is? Complaining is saying, God, you didn't do it right. God, you didn't do what I expected you to do. God, I had plans, and you have not fulfilled them. That's what complaining is. Right? We're trying to take our will and impose it upon God and then get mad... When he doesn't comply. Right? But rather, in everything give thanks. Regardless of the adversity, we can continue to be faithful servants to him. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you in everything giving thanks. When we're rejoicing, we're praying, we're giving thanks. Quench not the spirit. The idea of quenching the spirit is you go out there, you got a fire going, you take a gallon of water, put it, pour it on it. Thing's not going to go out completely, but it's definitely going to be hindered. Right? If the Lord's leading you to do something, and if you know it's him leading to you, you got to test the spirits. If it's something that's in accordance with her, his word and it's going to glorify him, you jolly well need to do it. Well, I don't want to, Lord, or I'm scared, or that's not my gift, or I'm not called to do that. Well, the Lord's leading you to it, and it's in accordance with his written scripture. You probably ought to better do it. Despise not prophesying, and whether that's someone having a revelation from God um, or whether this is preaching, whichever the context, you know, picks that word there despise not prophesying prove fast all things those ideas are again linked prove, prove all things and hold fast that was good you will hear a lot of things in this world not all of them are true and accurate and honest in accordance with God's word you hang on to that which is good you test it all that's what proving means test it see if it holds up to the scriptural standard hold fast to that which is good abstain from all appearance of evil that appearance means all forms Don't even make it look like anything that's evil. We don't want to. We don't want to get right to the edge of how close can I get to doing wrong before it's actually wrong. That's not the standard. It's a, by all accounts, does this glorify God? Does it look like something that glorifies God? Or does it give somebody occasion to say, well, you're a follower of God, but why are you doing that? If there's even that squeamishness, let it go. Leave it. We probably don't need to be doing it anyway. It's just something that we want to do and ought not. And the very God of peace sanctify you holy. So God himself is making you holy. He's the God of peace. He's making you holy. And I pray your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So We get this idea of on that last day, Jesus comes. He's got your whole thing. He's preserving you. He is maintaining you in that whole spirit. All right, well, what's the spirit? Your spirit, that is your eternal, immortal soul. That's what that word's referring to in that context. Um, the Greek word that's behind that, that's the spirit. And over here, the other word soul, that's referring to your life, your breath. This is, this is something that animals have that, don't, that plants don't. That's the distinguisher there. Your life and your breath. Your whole body, your whole life, uh, your whole soul, your whole life, and your whole physical body. They all be pre- preserved and prepared blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's doing that. That's what you can rest assured in. You know, in Philippians 1.6, is that he hath begun a good work in you, shall perform it under the day of Jesus Christ. Okay? Rest in Him. Rest in His assurance of what He's doing. Faithful is He that called you who also will do it. God's not going to leave you. He's not going to abandon you. It's not, a, all right, I'm spun you up like a top and you better keep going. If you fall over, you're out of... No. He's continuing to be with you this whole process. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this, apostle, this epistle be read unto the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Alright? Time passes. He sends a second letter. Paul and Silvanus to Paul and Sylvanus and Timotheus under the Church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're still in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace. Where from? Again, same things. From God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bound to thank God for you always, brethren, as it is meet or fit, because your faith groweth exceedingly, and in charity every one of you toward each other aboundeth. Now, what did we just say he was asking them to do? Grow! Grow in faith, grow in charity. And he's heard that they have. And so he's thanking God for it. Y'all, if you have not grown in your faith and your charity, there's a problem, right? Now here's the good thing, I can thank the Lord for each of y'all since I've been here. I've seen you grow in faith, and I've seen you grow in charity. But this is what we continue to do, all right? Continue to grow in faith, continue to grow in charity. Because your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you towards each other aboundeth. That's a good thing. So that we ourselves glory in you in the presence of God, in the churches of God. So he's able to go around to other churches and and talk about how good God is by what he's done for that Thessalonian church. All right? For your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations which you endure. They're still having them. Right? They haven't stopped It's just like, all right. You're growing in faith and you're growing in love. We'll take away the persecutions. No, they're still going on. And they're growing in spite of it. And So he's able to have this double example of look at what the Lord's doing with these people here and look what the world is putting against them. And yet look how great God is as they're still faithfully growing in love and growing in patience. Patiently enduring, patiently waiting for Christ to come back. So these tribulations, they are a manifest token of of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. Here's another encouragement in suffering that if you're suffering for Christ's sake, that's a symbol, that's a token, that's like a badge is saying, Christ has counted you worthy to suffer for his kingdom. That's a good thing. He's bought this kingdom with his own blood. He's put you into the kingdom and he's going to let you see it in a very visible and real sense. One day, you see it here now and you get glimpses of its glory but if you're being called to suffer for it that's an encouraging thing that you're counted worthy to be among that because those who take lip service to this kingdom when the suffering starts, you know what they do? They go! But if you're standing fast and you're faithfully serving and your love is still growing in the midst of it and you're patiently waiting for Christ the only way you can do that is if God's working in you He's the one sustaining you so you can be encouraged even in suffering for Christ's sake. So, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you to tribulation that them that trouble you. So there are going to be those who persecute the church, who hate it. It's going to happen. But God's not ignoring it. He knows what's going on, and the end result is He is going to have an accounting at the end of time at the great white throne with those who are troubling His church now. They will be called, and the punishment will be severe. To you who are troubled, rest with us. That's what you'll receive. That's what we're looking forward to, real, real rest. Our time of labor has ended. We'll receive rest. When the Lord Jesus be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You'll receive rest. This is what they'll receive. Flaming fire, taking advantage, punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You wonder what eternal life is? We saw back in John. Eternal life is to know the Father and to know His Son. That's what makes heaven so great. The Father and the Son. You know what makes hell so bad? Is that you're cast out of His presence and eternally separated from His glory when he shall come to be glorified in his saints. All this is going on at the same time, right? He's coming to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Who do you want to see more than anything else? If you're a born-again child of God, you want to see him. You want to admire him with your own eyes. You want to glorify him. That's what that day is going to be, a great, notable day. Them that believe in that day, because our testimony among you was believed in that day, he, he's confident that they will be there glorying and admiring their Savior. Wherefore, because of that, we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. That you would live here and now in the anticipation of that. Like that's real with your calling. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in Him. Not just at the end. Yeah, it will be at the end. But the name of Jesus will be glorified in your life now. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Great. That you be the Lord, the Lord Jesus be glorified in you and ye in him. According to the grace of our Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we spent a lot of time in chapter 2 several weeks ago unpacking all this. And I'm not going to try and unpack all of it. I'm going to read through it. And I trust that if you've got questions on it, you go listen to that sermon. And then come talk to me and we'll try to you know, clarify it. And but you had him saying in the first letter work quietly, study, you know, study to be quiet, work diligent with your own hands, and that he gave the confidence and assurance that Christ is coming back. Now in the second letter, he's having to teach them there are some things that have to happen before he comes back. And then in the third chapter, he's going to have to rebuke some people for not working altogether. These ideas are probably tied. It's probably some folks are like, well, if he's coming back, well, I don't need to, you know, go to work tomorrow. Jesus is coming, so let me just, you know, kind of, let everybody pull the resources and we'll just eat off of it. And eventually, you know, Jesus come back and we'll be good. You know? He's saying, no, there's some things that are going to happen before Jesus comes. And we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken, agitated, or troubled in mind, upset or fearful, neither by spirit nor word nor letter as from us, as at the day of Christ is at hand. So it doesn't matter how you hear it, whether somebody tells you it's a revelation or they're saying it to you or they sent you a letter, don't be fearful that the day of Christ is just at hand. Like right, right, right now. Let, mo- let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come first a falling away. And we looked at what that meant. Um, we see several examples of that falling away from, from the faith. Um, and that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So you've got this individual, the wicked one, who he, he's going to be revealed. Now it says he's already working but at that point, he's going to be revealed. And what is you get some characteristics of him. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So everything that is worshipped or called God, he says, I'm only not only against it, I'm higher than it. So this is someone who claims to be God himself. Okay, So that he that as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's what the, you know, this antichrist, this false Christ, this false God is going to do. He's going to be revealed as he's trying to claim to be God himself, and that he's against anything that you believe to be God. Remember ye not that I, when I was yet with you, I told you these things. He said, you know, in a short amount of time there, he'd already let them know that these are some things that are going to happen, so he's reminding them. And now you know what withholdeth or what covereth that he that might be revealed in his time. He says there's something keeping it hidden from right now he might be revealed in his time. There's a specific time when the Lord is going to have this to be revealed. The cover is going to come off and it's all going to be made plain. He said, that's going to be hidden until then. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth, again, the word covereth, he who covers it will continue to cover it until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked one be revealed. So that's your other major thing. Be revealed. Whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. So there'll be the revealing and then after that, the Lord is going to come and he's going to wipe him out. He's right? going to consume him with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan. Again, so not Satan himself, but someone who's after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Right? He is going to be a very convincing person. And the Lord is actually going to allow his lies to be believed. Those who are unrighteous are going to believe what they, this guy says. This, this spirit, whoever this is, this evil entity, that they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved with all deceivableness of the unrighteousness and then the perish. That's who's going to believe him. He's going to come with a deceivableness of unrighteousness and then the perish. Because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So you're going to believe something. If you're a child of God, you'll believe the truth. You're not, you'll believe this lie. That they all who that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That and our carnal safe, our wicked self, we have pleasure in unrighteousness. It's only by God's grace and deliverance that we're not left in that state. So we are bound to give thanks all but for certain but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, and know your beloved, because God hath chosen hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Through sanctification. Right? We talked in the first letter about he knew that they were elect by how the word had been manifested in their lives with their faithful, faithfulness and their love and their charity. It says that He has chosen you. God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Through the sanctification of the Spirit, He's going to grow you and make you holy. Um, and the belief of the truth whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's the dichotomy. It's either over here or it's over here. Right? You're either going to be um, chosen by him and you'll believe the truth, or at that time you'll believe that lie. Therefore, brethren, stand fast. Hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. epistle. That's key, that word traditions there. Sometimes uh, we can get caught up with traditions. All right? well this is how we've always done it Right. Well, there's a modifier on this hold the traditions which ye have been taught whether by word or our epistle these are traditions that were taught by the apostles and tradition just means a transmission or a commandment so that which the apostles are teaching hold fast to that that doesn't mean well we've done this a long time and our grandparents did it and so that's a tradition and so we have to do it because it says hold fast to the traditions right? that which the apostles taught right? that's what you hold on to you know, the, the scribes and Pharisees got really caught up with. they made traditions of men as long as you did them they were fine with you but the result was that was that they were defeating the commandments of God right? so the traditions of men hang on to very loosely am not saying we have to throw all tradition aside but look for the reason behind it if we're doing this because we're trying to fill this and this and this and this of the scriptures ok but if we're doing this just because we've always done it and it conflicts with these scriptures let it go ok but these traditions, that which you've been taught, stand fast. That which came with the epistle. Um, and so the, the point in this is that don't be taken in by these lies. Right? There's going to be false teaching out there. Don't be taken in. Stand with what was right. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, uh, even our Father, which hath loved us and given us everlasting consolation, that good hope, that good comfort and good hope through grace comforts your hearts and establishes you in every good word And work Comfort your hearts. Now comfort means to draw near. May God himself draw your heart near to him and establish you to everything that you do and everything that you say, which if we're living a life that's holy and trying to glorify God and put in his will first, we want God to establish us in those things. When we're not, Lord help us. Chasten us quickly that we lay those things down that don't bring him glory and honor. Chapter 3 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. We spend a good time about that, of asking the Lord to pray for open doors of opportunity to share the gospel, both for me and for you. And then when we do, that we have the courage to open our mouth, right? To say as we ought to say, that the word may be glorified, both of us as we're speaking as we ought to, and the hearers that the Lord has opened their ears, even as it is with you. We know that the Lord has let the word go out from Thessalonica and all these regions about. And people are very encouraged in glorifying the word of the Lord because of their witness, right? He said, let that be as it is with me, as it is with you, let it be with me. that we may And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that you both do and will do the things that we command you. So he said, I know you're doing it now, and I'm confident in the Lord that you'll continue to do it. And the Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Okay. Now, we command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he hath received of us, if you just stop right there, it would be easy to use this to attack people, and it has been used to attack people you don 't do things the way that I do, and therefore um, i 'm going to withdraw myself from you you 're disorderly, you know by some definitions among p b s disorderly means you don 't have conference once a month i don 't see anything else in scripture. <laughs> That says disorderly just means irregularly and not after the tradition which he received of us. Right? Where's the transmission, the tradition have come from? The apostle. Now we don't have what the apostle spoke verbally available to us. So we're left with the written word of God. That's where we find the traditions. And those who are not willing to stand fast on these, then yeah, you don't need to withdraw from. But it's not just your arbitrary, arbitrary traditions that you've come up with on your own. So read the rest of it and see what context he's talking about here. Who is he talking about withdrawing from? For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Again, you get that all in the first letter about their pattern of life and their behavior. They weren't using guile or any of those other bad things. They were setting a good example. It says, Neither did we eat any man's bread for nothing, but wrought with labor and travail night and day that we might not be chargeable to any of you. So what's he talking about here? He says, Go luck and look. When we were with you... We were working. We were supporting ourselves by working so that I didn't take money from any of y'all while I was there coming and teaching. Not because we had not power, but to make ourselves an example unto, a, unto you to follow. Now, what does it mean by the power? Well, you go read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Just read the whole chapter. And what that establishes is that God set up the ministry to be supported by the ministry that those who are teaching and feed, feeding the Lord's sheep, that they're to be supported by that. They had the power and the authority to do that. However, Paul, when he's on these missions and the evangelistic trips, he never took anything from any of the towns he was teaching in because he didn't want to have the slightest appearance that he was in it for their money. Now, when he leaves town, they may send gifts after him. That's what the Philippians did. He had gone down the road to Thessalonica you know, And they are already sending things to support him. And that's a sign that the Lord is bearing fruit through them. But it's not because he's asking for them. He's not saying, all right, I'm here. Y'all give me another cash. He had the right and authority to do it, but he didn't want there to be any appearance. And so the way I see this is there's a way when you're out teaching baby Christians in the first time, don't take a thing, right? You should be supported by established churches, right? And that's kind of the model that we have when we see elders who feel led to go places. We'll send some funds with them, encourage them on their way, because we're not expecting those that they're going and teach to support them. okay? But that being said, that when you're here and you're in a local church and you have a pastor, yeah, it's your obligation and responsibility to support them, and you all do that. And so I appreciate that, and you can see that all in First Corinthians. So that's what he means. He says it's not that we didn't have the power. They did, but we make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. So what was the example there? When they were there, they were working. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, Neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly. Well, what is the disorderly? Working not at all, but are busybodies. All right? So this is someone who said, I don't have to go have a day job. All right? This is an able-bodied individual. This is not talking about widows and orphans who cannot care for themselves. That's a different category that's dealt with elsewhere. But this is able-bodied individuals who are choosing to be lazy. And say, well, we'll just eat off the church's common toll and we'll, we'll just, you know, this is how we'll do it and we won't work at all. He's saying, no, that's disorderly. Withdraw from that individual. That's not someone that you have to support and care for um, to make sure, because if they're not willing to work at all and they're able, then they don't need to be supported and maintained by the church. Now, at that time, there were widows who had no means of income and it was the church's responsibility to make sure they went around and make sure they had bread for today. Okay. He's saying don't take bread to their house if they're not willing to, to work. Right? That is an example. That's what the context here is talking about. Withdraw yourself from every brother who walketh disorderly and not after tradition which he received of us. Well, the tradition is that you work. Right? We, Christ is not coming right yet. Right? There's some major things that are going to have to happen. In the meantime, you keep on working. You live alertly. Um, you do the things that are needful. You work quietly, minding your own business so that you have those things that you need. Back to the first uh, letter. And so from those who aren't willing to do that, that's an example of someone working disorderly, not after the commandments and traditions of the apostle. All right? Now them that are such, so to those he's saying who are doing those things who aren't working, says those that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work. So if you're not working, start working. right? And eat your own bread. But ye brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Sometimes that's our knee-jerk you're not doing what you're supposed to, I'm just going to stop altogether of whatever good thing that I'm supposed to, for fear that I'm going to let somebody take advantage of me. This is the counterpoint for us of, yes, they are commanded to work, and yes, you're commanded to withdraw from those brothers, this is within the church that's going on, but don't be weary of well-doing. Don't be jaded, don't be hard-hearted, don't stop and say, well, I'm just not going to do any good at all, lest somebody who's doing, you know, wrong by taking advantage of it. It's don't be weary in well-doing. There's going to be times when we're discouraged. There's going to be times when we don't feel like it. Battle against that. Make sure that we're continuing to do what's right, not returning evil for evil. Again, remember back in um, warn those that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support those that are weak. See that none render evil for evil, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves. And you're know, Why is it taking the time to go through both letters at the same time? Because these things are so linked whole thing, is, it's linked together and there's these themes and I don't know of any other way to kind of pull them all together. Alright? And, if any man obey not our word by this epistle, so you've told them by this epistle, and they still choose not to, note that man and have no company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Alright? This is to reprove one gently for their own good, not, well, you heard what the apostle said and you're not doing it and so get out and I hate you. Right? Sometimes the idea of withdrawing from somebody has that real nasty connotation. That's not what's depicted here. It's that I'm going to continue to do what's right and I'm going to require that you do what's right and I'm going to withdraw from you so that you'll see what's right and do it. But I still love you. You're not my enemy. All right. But admonish him as a brother. And that admonish means to reprove gently right? now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means again what's our source of peace the Lord God he describes himself as the Lord of peace may he give you peace always by all means is he bound by any particular way of giving you peace is it got to be your checklist of Lord if I had these things I'd be awful peaceful no he's got all manner of means Lord whatever pleases you give me peace Lord of peace, give you peace with all means. The Lord be with you. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is a token in every epistle, so I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. The letters to the Thessalonians. Thank you all.